This episode is brought to you by IVP. For centuries, discussions of early Christianity have focused on male leaders in the church. In his book, Tell Her Story, Nije Gupta explores the ample evidence in the New Testament of women being actively involved in ministry and serving as respected leaders. Gupta calls us to bring these women out of the shadows by shining light on their many inspiring contributions to the planting, growth, and health of the first Christian churches. And as a listener of this podcast, you can receive this book for 25% off when you use the promo code IVPOD25, that's IVPOD25, at IVPress.com. This is IVP. Anything I know about living as a neighbor, I have learned secondhand from my neighbors in this particular neighborhood. I mean, they were the ones and continue to be the ones who show me the way, who lead by example, who uh, lead with generosity and kindness and humility and, you know, all those things that matter so much. So being able to just kind of close my mouth and and start to listen more than I'm speaking and just really kind of dig in and understand that none of it is wasted. Every single bit of it matters. Welcome back to The Disruptors, a podcast from InterVarsity Press. I'm your host, Caitlin Shess. Today, I'm talking to Shannon Martin, I first started learning from Shannon when I was a first-year seminary student and picked up her first book. Since then, she's become not only a friend, but a model to me of what it means to be a good neighbor. We talk about neighborliness, about local politics and why it's so important, and what it looks like to seek the good of the place you are in, wherever that is. I think you'll find Shannon's words convicting and encouraging, But I also think that her life and work can help us all imagine new ways of being good neighbors in our communities. Shannon Martin is the author of Start With Hello, The Ministry of Ordinary Places, and Falling Free. She is a speaker and writer who found her voice in the country and her story in the city. Shannon works as a cook at The Window, a local nonprofit dedicated to feeding its community. She and her family live as grateful neighbors in Goshen, Indiana. Shannon, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so excited to talk today. Same. I'm thrilled to be here. So thanks for having me. Yeah. Would you start by just giving our listeners a little bit of background about you and especially kind of how you've ended up spending so much of your work life talking about neighborliness? Like what part, what elements of your life have led to that? Not only you writing about neighborliness, but also you being committed in really practical ways to being a good neighbor in your community. I think your background of how you got there is really important for people to hear who might feel like, oh my goodness, Shannon is like posting Instagram pictures of her like beautiful community life. But you come from, you know, a whole journey of how you've ended up thinking about things that way. So would you share some of that with us? Yeah, I'd love to. The best way to kind of frame this is that 12 years ago, my husband and I and our three young kids at that time moved from a nearby community where we assumed we would live forever. And we ended up actually only being there for a short time, just about four years. And we we sold that farmhouse. It was, you know, a, a, our dream farmhouse kind of out in a secluded 
tight-knit community where my husband had grown up. And we ended up moving just, you know, 15 or 20 minutes up the road into a the, the closest nearby city, a small city, um, and into a complicated and captivating neighborhood on what most people, if they were being honest in my community, would consider to be, you know, sort of on the wrong side of the tracks. And and I mean that quite literally, <laughs> because we were bisected by yeah. a very active railroad track. And when we moved into this neighborhood, we were excited in so many ways. There was something that just kind of pulled us away from where we were and into this different context, into just a very ordinary kind of underloved neighborhood with so much diversity of, of just every type. And yet once we landed here, I just remember reckoning with, oh, I don't really know how to do this. <laughs> you know, here I am and it's great and I'm thrilled to be here. But what do I do next? Because I had I had just lived predominantly up to that point in my life in contexts where everybody around me looked and lived and believed as I did. And so this was new to me in so many ways. And just the the really practical aspect of people, just people everywhere. And, you know, when you, I kind of grew up out in the country and so did Corey. And then, you know, we lived in that farmhouse back a lane. And when your neighbors are soybean fields, it just looks different. It feels different. It behaves differently than when you suddenly have, you know, homes very pressed up against yours and everything that comes with that. So that just kind of started my crash course on wanting to understand for myself, like, what does this mean? Why does this matter? What do I do? And those questions evolve into, you know, how do I not mess this up? And how do I not cause harm once I'm here? And what does it look like to just be a neighbor and to kind of extract myself from the idea of, I'm here to serve, I'm here to help, I'm here to bring the good news, which is really how I grew up and, and starting to really understand maybe my job is to just spend the rest of my life trying to understand what does it look like to live with each other. That's so helpful. And I, I appreciate you even sort of saying like, I didn't know what I was doing. And this is kind of hard yeah. to figure out because I do think some people might read some of your really wonderful books or, or follow you on social media and think like, I can't live the way that Shannon lives. Like there's something about her personality or something that just makes this easy. And like, she can do this and like, I cannot do this. And I have felt that even I'm like two years now into living in a city that has a really complicated history with race. And, and I also live in a part of that city that like is not the part of the city people would expect me to live in and figuring out how to build relationships with my neighbors especially when I think there's some distrust sometimes. And and you've written about this of like, you know, I love the idea of people becoming really committed to a particular neighborhood, but then the tendency might be, I just drop in here and I assume I know what to do. And I assume that I can kind of create community. Like I'm the one that's bringing all of the gifts. And I've at least experienced like I'm a Duke student in, and the city that I live in has a contentious relationship with the university. And so instead I'm realizing, oh, there's all these assumptions that people have. How would you counsel people either who might be considering like, maybe I need to move. Maybe I need to be really so committed to a particular neighborhood that I put my full stake in this place and move here. Or even if someone isn't thinking of moving, but is like, how do I do this? Well, like, what are the practical things that I can do to be a good neighbor, to not to, to, to move at least slowly and imperfectly towards the kind of life that, that you're describing that might feel kind of inaccessible to them? I really want 
anything I share to be accessible to a variety of people in a variety of places. And so I, I always kind of want to give that caveat that none of this is about, you know, now everybody needs to sell their home <laughs> in the country or in the suburbs or whatever. That just happened to be mm-hmm. part of our story. And I don't think it is a particularly necessary part of the story. And, you know, like you've kind of suggested and like I've kind of suggested, we can do plenty of harm wherever we are. I want to be really cautious in saying this isn't about a template or a checklist or a better way or a best way. I think no matter where we are, for as long as we are here, we choose to stay and, you know, we choose to fall in love with our place no matter what it looks like. I think those are the kind of fundamental building blocks of living as neighbors with the people around us is just, you know, we're going to be committed. And, you know, I I think wherever we live, some of us got to choose that place. Some of us didn't, but here we are to be able to be attentive to the world we're in, to really attune ourselves to what's happening around us and to acknowledge that there's some kind of miracle or magic to the fact that we're here. And so are other people in whatever way. And maybe that is significant. Maybe that matters. And so to kind of allow this to be very slow work <laughs> and to believe that every single little thing we do, and most of it, you know, as I kind of reflect back, most of the work I was doing looked like nothing. It looked like living. <laughs> it looked like going about my regular life with a new sense of intention and a new awareness that I wanted to be paying attention. I wanted to be finding this place beautiful and and finding the people around me beautiful. And if we can just start to say, you know, let's, here I am and here you are, let's just take as long as it takes to figure out why that matters and what that could look like. It's almost never about doing a thing. It's kind of, for me, more about shifting that mentality and that mindset into, I'm just a really small part of a really complex and beautiful place. And I don't bring any more than than anybody around me. In fact, anything I know about living as a neighbor, I have learned secondhand from my neighbors in this particular neighborhood. I mean, they were the ones and continue to be the ones who show me the way, who lead by example, who uh, lead with generosity and kindness and humility and, you know, all those things that matter so much. So being able to just kind of close my mouth and and start to listen more than I'm speaking and just really kind of dig in and understand that none of it is wasted. Every single bit of it matters. Yeah. Oh, that's so helpful. And I, you know, we're spending this whole season of the disruptors kind of trying to think more internally. Um, we've, they've spent some past seasons talking about disrupting the church, disrupting the culture. And this season, we really wanted to say what needs to be disrupted in ourselves or what needs to really be undone in us so that we can do that work. And one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you was you have written so much about these kinds of of practices of neighborliness, about being a good neighbor. And I think some people, especially in the last few years, have have maybe realized some great injustice in their neighborhoods or their communities. But a lot of the like scale that we tend to think about this stuff on is just national. Like I've realized how systemic injustice works. I really care about it. And maybe I have this really good passion to like go and do something about those things. But we can 
run in headfirst and not think a lot about, am I the kind of person that can do this well? Have I done the internal work that's necessary? And I was just looking at, at your most recent book, Start With Hello, and you have all these practices of neighborliness that sounded like the kinds of things that we're trying to get people to think about. It's like, what would it look like for the work you want to do in the church or in the world to start smaller and more locally and in yourself? Can you share some of those practices that might be really you know, might not sound like they changed the world. It might not sound like this big scale way to like fix all these problems, but could be ways for us to kind of think more locally or even just think what, what needs to happen in me? What do I need to work on to be the kind of person that can be a good neighbor to other people? Well, you know, just the title itself and so much work goes into titling a book (laughs) and, you know, it's, it's just kind of obsessed to its end. But the idea that every single relationship we have, regardless of how big or how small, they all began at very sort of close to the ground ways. Like they all began with this simple acknowledgement of each other and the simple seeing of each other. So whether it's, you know, a hello or a wave, it really does begin at street level. You know, it begins with just like, I see you and you see me and, you know, learning faces and learning names and coming to a place where we can trust in our bodies that, you know, when push comes to shove and when we're in need, the people closest to us know who we are, know, know our faces and name, and, and trust that we will have their back and that we can turn around and look at them and trust that they will have our back. It's not about, you know, becoming best friends forever with all of our next door neighbors. I think that's really cool when that happens, but that's not really the point here. The point is, There's no reason for us to spend our lives in places where the people closest to us do not know us and we don't know them. And in a culture that is kind of pushing us to different sides and different spaces and telling, you know, you stay away from you and you stay away from them. And, you know, we start to feel like we are safest if we keep each other at arm's distance. And in fact, the very opposite is true, that when we can find ways to come closer to each other, we are safer. Um, So yes, I wrote Start With Hello, and I just packed it as tightly as I could with really practical, how do I do this? Because it's the book that I wish somebody would have handed to me 12 years ago. Um, But it's, it's everything from, you know, why does it matter that we take walks in our places? Um, why does it matter for us to really start to identify beauty wherever we live in the very mundane and ordinary? Who should we be listening to? How can we recognize who is missing from our world and what we lose in that? And then eventually, you know, it kind of scales in itself. But like, how do we get back to having sharing space with each other, having people into our spaces, having the courage because it really takes courage to be welcomed into somebody else's space. And when we're together, what should we eat? You know, how do we feed each other? Literally, my goal is to set that bar as low as we possibly can. Because if we make it difficult, or if we make it fancy, or if we make it this big deal, we're just never going to do it. And if we can set the bar at a really accessible place, we're just likelier to do the practice. I mean, you know, we talk about building community and building relationships, and we, we're so used to that phrasing that we forget that it implies it is actual work. 
it takes effort and sweat and tears. And so if we can practice building those muscles, you mentioned earlier, you know, that maybe my personality somehow makes this easier. And in fact, the very opposite of that is true (laughs) as well. I am notoriously introverted. I am super awkward. And I think we all believe that we are the most awkward. And so even acknowledging that, like we all think we're the one, but we're all kind of feeling the same way. This is not easy for me. And it's why I'm still practicing. I love that. And I love how often on social media, you'll post things that are like, look, some people came over and I stuck a frozen pizza in the oven <laughs> yeah. and we and it's really helped me. And a, a mutual friend of ours, Kendall Vanderslice, has helped me with this, too, because she lives in my city and we end up spending so much time in each other's homes. It really has lowered the bar for me for other people <laughs> to be like, oh, I've gotten accustomed to Kendall coming over and she knows that my house is a mess and I have like all these issues that I'm upset about and we're not at the right, re- you know, but it just it you're building something together. And I think that's really important to tell people of like when we're talking about this stuff, it's not the like vision you had of the 1950s perfect yeah. table and family and how like it's just real life with people. Um, and I love that you focus on just like, just start, like, just do this, like, just be a part of the community that you're in, because I do think sometimes people think. I need to have a whole strategy and plan and have worked it all yes. out. And then we don't ever we don't do it. say hello to our next door neighbor. <laughs> it's, it's too scary. And even if we can pull it off one time, like maybe we could, you know, I think we've been taught by home decor magazines and then yes. on into <laughs> social media and Instagram and all of these things. We've been taught to see this as entertaining and it is to our great detriment and to our distance between ourselves that we've done that. So if we can extract that idea of entertaining and strip that away and think of just like, what if we were just a little more honest about how we are actually living? Because if we, if, you know, maybe we could pull it all together and hide all the messes and somehow, you know, find a a delicious meal to serve in our home, maybe we could do it once and we would be exhausted. We would probably be just flooded with, did I get it right? Like when we focus so much on on the actual optics of it or the performance of it, we usually walk away from that feeling like we failed because the, you know, we just, nobody can hit that goal. Um, But even if we pull it off once, it's not sustainable. We can't live that way. So, you know, I have to laugh and just share this little story. I wrote about it and start with hello, but, but Kendall came and stayed in this home that I'm in right now. And when she said she was coming into town, I just remember thinking, oh no, I don't have a great place to put her in my home. I don't have this great, you know, Martha Stewart living says you should have this whole like gift basket (laughs) on the perfect guest suite and all these things. And we were in the middle of remodeling a downstairs bathroom. And I said to her, like, we have a space for you. It's my daughter's bedroom. We're going to relocate her for the night. You can stay in her bedroom. There's a bathroom there, but there's no sink. So are you okay? Like brushing your teeth and washing your hands in the bathtub. I mean, this is real life. And there was part of me that was like kind of embarrassed about it. And then on the other side of that is like, you know what, hopefully her takeaway, she was a trooper. She didn't mind at all. But hopefully her takeaway is then, oh, we can do that. You know, and I'm not saying I taught her that. But when we when we kind of live in that flow of just accepting life is just weird and complicated and inconvenient and messy. But that reinforces to us that we also don't have to do it perfectly. There is no perfect. 
Yeah. And just like that's actually inviting someone into your life as opposed to I'm putting on a performance for you. And that's just not the same thing. No. Related to all of this, actually, the performance versus like really doing life with people, which people hate that phrase. But I think there's something good we're trying to articulate there. One of the things that that worries me about this upcoming election season of the many things that concern me (laughs) is that even for those of us who have really done a lot of work to figure out what does it look like to seek justice and to love people well and to maybe unlearn some of the ways that we inherited to think about politics, we might still end up being pretty content to just like post a lot on social media or like tell people our opinions in in, in in-person conversations but not really engage in our communities with those new things we have learned really matter. And you talk about this in your new book as practicing versus preaching. And I'm just curious if someone could hear what I just said and went, oh, <laughs> that might be me. Like I, I do find myself being much more able or interested in posting on social media than really engaging my community. And to, I mean, it's not totally their fault. That's the model they've often been given. It's like if you have the right opinions and you show that you are the right kind of person, then you've done your political work. How would you encourage them to start? Because I think engaging in your local community with some of these things feels inaccessible to people because they're like, I don't know how this works and I'm not sure who to go to or what to, who to ask questions to. What would your first step be for someone who's like, I don't want to just preach. I really want to practice what I preach. I think everything we sort of see or consume is focusing on these big national level issues. And as a side note, prior to moving into this neighborhood, my husband, Corey, and I both worked in federal politics. And so we have, I mean, it was just a very different time in our lives, but we lived in D.C. for a short time My husband worked on Capitol Hill. He worked for two different United States congressmen. I worked at a political think tank, and that was the world that we were in. And so I I want to acknowledge, like most of us, that is that's what we are immersed in is these like national issues, national policies, national elections, which matter deeply, and you know we need to stay engaged. But so much is happening that impacts our actual everyday lives and our literal neighbors. It's happening locally. And that, you know, local politics is not dominating the airwaves, it seems. So I am actually running for city council right now. I'm I'm in active campaign season. We have about a month until the election. So we are in that stretch. And and so I would say from the perspective that I am in right now, I'm I'm starting to learn firsthand how important it is for just the everyday citizen who might not be running for local office, but to be engaged in local politics, to be, you know, if there are candidate forums in your community, and and there are in Goshen, so I'm guessing there are in a lot of places, go to these forums, listen to the candidates, read the articles in the newspaper that are coming out, um, follow these folks running for local office on their social media accounts, contribute to their campaigns. I'm right in the thick of going door to door, knocking on doors. It is an introvert's nightmare in some ways. (laughs) And it's also just really, it's like if you can build up the courage and do it, it's on the other side is a lot of connection and you're just meeting your neighbors, which is really sweet. Everybody has been nice so far. So that's helpful. Even if they disagree, even if they're never going to vote for me. Um, But, but just starting to understand the value. I mean, that's what I'm telling people over and over again. Voter turnout for local elections is so impossibly low. 
I mean, it is it is a fraction of of the people who are getting out to vote in local elections. And I think in part it's confusing. People don't know when these things are happening and we can all do better at getting that information out. But these are the the decisions, you know, when you think of your city council, really important decisions that impact you every day, just basic infrastructure, traffic and sidewalks. And, you know, there's conversations about like kids walking to school and, you know, I'm I'm in the Midwest and it gets it stays dark early in the morning here for part of the year. And just like, how do we get our kids to school safely? How do we keep traffic moving um, setting budgets for fire, for policing, for all these things, those happen at the local level. So I think every single one of us can commit to finding out when our local elections are, or municipal is what we sometimes call them, making sure we are registered to vote, being committed to following the candidates the best we can and voting, and and just the simple power of talking to the people around us and reminding them that these elections are happening we just dropped yard signs. It's all new to me. But just the idea of somebody putting my yard sign in their yard as an act of saying like, you know, this election is happening and it matters to me. And this is a person that I am throwing support behind. These are small practices that that move us out of our head and into our bodies and into our place and and allow that work to continue and to thrive for the sake of the people around us. Yeah, when I first moved to the to the city that I live in now in Durham, North Carolina, I showed up at like a local meeting that was for um, a church that was just had all of the candidates for the local offices come and, and answer questions. And it's interesting. I went going, you know, I want to be informed about these candidates. I want to like learn about what people care about in my city. And instead, I just like met a bunch of people and, and <laughs> built some really, you know, not that I didn't also right. learn from these candidates and I voted in that election, but it was just funny how I was so focused on like the outcome, which does matter. But it hadn't occurred to me yet that just being involved, showing up to a meeting or even just like meeting my neighbor that like it might have some political implication to it. But also the relationship that you built along the way is just a good thing. I imagine you're learning a lot more about your city just by (laughs) running um, and meeting people. And that's like a good in and of itself. There are times we are going through such grief hardship or sadness that we don't even have the words to pray? How can we commune with God when we don't even know what to say about what we are going through? In her award-winning book, Prayer in the Night, author and New York Times columnist Tish Harrison Warren looks to the ancient Anglican practice of Compline, or nighttime prayers, to help her navigate times of doubt and loss. If you find yourself struggling to pray in times of sorrow or uncertainty, this is a book that can sit with you while you work or watch or weep. Stay tuned until the end of the episode to find out how you can get a 25% discount on Prayer in the Night at ivpress.com. Would you talk to us a little bit about what prompted your decision to run? Um, I feel like I told you earlier I talk about faith and politics all the time, and I'm not often thinking about what we should say or what might be good Christian resources for someone running or even someone working in the office of an elected official. But I get asked a lot by people who are like, look, I want to do the work. 
I'm nervous that what I have seen of the political process means it's impossible to do this without it just completely distorting me um, or having to make compromises I don't want to make. Or So w- what was your thought process in doing this? Did you have <laughs> concerns about it or was there a moment when you thought like, this is what I should do? Tell us, yeah. tell us about that decision. So yes, I everything, everything you just said. <laughs> um, I was actually invited to run four years ago. And, you know, I had those conversations. And at that time, it was just an absolutely not for me. It was kind of like, you know, I appreciate you thinking of me. No, no, thank you. Um, And so four years later, the conversations started bubbling up again. And, And I was willing enough to entertain those conversations. I actually wrote in Start With Hello um, about the importance of, of getting involved locally. And I included the line run for local election because I had it in the back of my mind that maybe one day into the future, I might run for school board. That was my thought when I wrote that one little line. And after having some of these conversations and, you know, kind of letting people know, you know, I will consider it, but I'm still probably a no, it's probably a no for me. One of the people who was was really trying to persuade me sent me a text the next day and said, hey, I just read a book and I think you might like it and included <laughs> a screenshot of my paragraph and highlighted run for local elections. That was just kind of a funny thing. I love this energy. Yeah, this it, it was very funny because when I got the text, I was like, I in my mind, like, I love book recommendations. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> um, it was well played. But I think one of the things, one of the big things that held me back, just aside from I don't know if I have space for this in my life, you know, that kind of thing. My neighborhood is predominantly Latino families. Our community, like our school system is predominantly Latino. It's it's a growing community within our community. And I really felt um, like we need more Latino representation. Like I just felt, I, I really kept coming up against like, we don't need me here. And, and through the course of many conversations, starting to understand that for a lot of different reasons, there weren't a lot of Latino folks kind of stepping into this space, but that maybe if I took my turn, maybe I could be a more helpful person to that end in the long run, because I don't know if I'm going to win or lose. I live in the only swing district in our city, and it's the last election was decided by two votes. So again, like voting in local elections is like when we can feel like, you know, sometimes we feel like our our vote gets lost in the shuffle nationally or, you know, with the system, the way that it is, it feels a little like, does it matter? I think it always matters. But I understand why we feel that way. When it is local, it matters. (laughs) Like every vote matters. Just kind of coming to see that maybe there was a way for me to be involved and to serve my community but also to be willing to step into the tension, um, to be willing to bring my whole self. You know, I I chose this neighborhood. I raised three little tiny kids here until they're now almost all adults. Like, I have seen some things. I have learned so much from my neighbors and from my place and from being engaged. And and so it, it, it for me, it came down to, I just love this community. And I I, we have found a place of thriving and a place where a lot of different people can come together and really walk together through life. And I want that for more of us. I don't think I come bearing all the answers. I know I don't. 
but I think that's the the beauty of of this campaign and this election for me is projecting to anybody who's paying attention that I am just an ordinary person. I am an ordinary woman, a mom. I work at a community kitchen. I spend most of my time wearing a ball cap and looking like a, a mess and I'm, you know, life is full and I'm busy and I have I have a lot of big feelings and I feel quiet on the inside a lot of times and you know, I'm not coming with like an advanced degree or I'm not a business owner like you see a lot of of other people who they feel like they're so qualified and I'm just here like you know I just I I I bring value too and I have ideas that I can bring too and there's just power in ordinary citizens getting involved yeah. going first that was a long answer that was so great. <laughs> no, that was wonderful. That was wonderful. Especially that last part about just, I think some people do think for me to be involved in any capacity, whether it's running for office or showing up to the meeting, or I have to know a lot. Like I, I tell people all the time, like, oh, there's this meeting, you can come. And they're like, but I haven't done all the research and I haven't read all the things. And I always am like, that's great if you can. Like, I think being well educated about the policies and the candidates is wonderful, but also don't act like you don't have experience in your community that helps you know what's right for it. Like you have a voice to contribute to. Shannon, tell us a little bit about how someone might, if they are not considering running for office, find what their gift could be for their community. Because I also think one of the barriers to this is people feel like I have to know about all the things. Yeah. <laughs> I have to be involved in everything. I have to have an opinion about every issue. And maybe even tell us a little bit about your work with the community kitchen, because to me, that's an example of you figuring out like, what what is my role in this community? What's something I bring that could be helpful for people who are going, I want to do something, but I don't know what it is. And it feels overwhelming to figure out what it is. First of all, I want to say it, it feels like something that happens so often, even at the national level, where we might be feeling um, emotion or opinion or, you know, we're, we're feeling something about a particular issue or something happening in the world. And we voice that. And one of the quickest ways that that people can kind of shut us down is by saying, and I get that I, I speak from experience here. So so what's your solution? What's your answer? It's very, very frustrating to me because it that's the very thing that kind of pushes us back into that corner of like, oh, if you don't know everything, you need to just stay quiet. And so I, you know, I spend a lot of time in my online spaces trying to invite conversation between differing views. I, I see a lot of value in that. And I think I'm weirdly wired for that. But one of the things that I that I repeat over and over again is like I can have a, an opinion about something happening nationally or globally and and not have the solution like that is not my job. And so even when I think of of city council there's so much that I don't know about it, so many things happening. But the the role of city council is to kind of steward the decisions happening locally. You know, the, when we think about politics it is not about being the one to like one person isn't doesn't hold all the power and and there's there are reasons for that. So so I just want to sort of help us diminish this idea that we have to know everything and have all the answers or we can't be part of the conversation. I can say I don't like x y or z. And there are people, you know, whether it's nationally or locally, there are experts who know 
how to maybe fix this. There are experts who know how to address this. That is not my job. I am not that expert. That's just like a maybe a bonus. I don't know. You didn't ask me to say all of that, but I just that's really helpful. I want to remind us all like we don't have to be pushed into that corner. Yeah. Um, and now remind me the second part of your question that I didn't answer yet. No, no, no. Just how you how you might counsel someone who's going, where do I find what my work could be in this? It's it maybe isn't running for city council, but I also don't want to feel the pressure to be like, I have to be involved in everything. And and for me to be consistent means caring about everything. How would you counsel someone who's like, let me find my spot here. Um, what's the thing I'm supposed to do? I think we we can allow our, our lives to kind of lead us to where we need to be. And I think there's just something sweet and special about paying attention and listening to what our passions are. You know, people have different ways of saying this. So, you know, pay attention to what makes you cry. Pay attention to what... Um, gives you energy, like emotion, pay attention to those things, pay attention to what you choose to do when you have a a free afternoon. And when I when I think about those things, you know, I've and I've spent time and intention over recent years kind of figuring out, you know, what is it that where's my sweet spot? And one of the things I realized is when I have free time, whether I'm in a season of a lot of stress and fullness or whether I just have time on my hands, I found myself standing in my kitchen cooking and, you know, thinking about food and reading about food. And I, and I loved it. And then I also know that because of the neighborhood where we've landed, because my husband is the chaplain of our county jail and a lot of the people moving through our lives and in our everyday lives are post-incarceration um, dealing or recovering from active addiction, grew up in generational poverty, like all these different things. Like I, I have a a real love for people who struggle in different ways than I struggle. And so when I finally found myself touring this community kitchen that I had known about for years and years and had never set foot in, it's like those two things just kind of like, oh, you know, like, and, and it took a long time. It, it In hindsight, it took a lot longer than I feel like it should have. And yet it was a pretty quick understanding for me of like, this is maybe the place where I'm meant to be. And when it worked out for me, you know, not long after to, to be on staff there and to pull together like these passions of mine and these loves of mind, I think, you know, life kind of leads us in those spaces. And then when it was, when it was time to make that ultimate decision of, am I doing this? Am I going to, am I going to run for city council, even though it was not my idea and it wasn't something I ever really imagined myself doing, I became very aware pretty quickly. Like uh, the thing that kind of swung me over that hurdle was the idea that I know people and I really know them and I consider them friends who come and eat lunch with us at the kitchen who are, are not as heard in this community as I, I feel they should be, who are not as known as I wish they would be. And so it was, again, it was this little bit of like, oh, like I have, I have relationships that have made my life a lot better. And, and that relational equity is something that I bring to the table here. And it's, it's just an interest of mine. It's a community within our community that I want protection and flourishing for. And if I can have a little bit of say in that, that for me was like a win. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And I, I love the emphasis you just had on like, 
the joy that you have in the stuff that you're doing. Because I do think sometimes when I'm encouraging people to be involved in the larger political life of their community, it just sounds like there's no win here. <laughs> like It's all difficulty. It's all anxiety and exhaustion and division. And, and it is a lot of that. But especially in your own community, to listen to the the thing that you love and how that can be a gift to your neighbors, I think is, is refreshing for people to hear of like, oh, it's not just there is sacrifice, there is suffering and difficulty, but like, it's not all that there is joy there and relationship too. So I think I think that will speak to people. We mentioned this earlier about how, again, I talk to people all the time who are like, I want to be involved and I'm considering maybe even a career in this. I talk to like young people who are like, I'm studying this, I'm thinking about doing this. And the anxiety or the kind of caution they have is, is it possible to do this without just losing your soul along the way? Like, will it just distort you? And 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 you'll end up, you came in with good motivations, but you'll end up in a place where actually you're doing things you never thought you would do. Have you put any thought into what is required for you to do this in a healthy way? Like what relationships you need or practices you need that maybe you could share to kind of encourage people like there are resources available to us to kind of do the work to sustain ourselves in really difficult work that will maybe tempt or challenge us in all those kinds of ways but we're not without resources for addressing it have there been any things like that for you i think no matter what i'm doing i really am interested in staying integrated in my whole self and my full self so whether i'm writing a book whether i am on you know, Substack or Instagram or wherever I may, wherever I might be, whether I am living in my neighborhood, just living in this house or working at the kitchen or, you know, being whatever the case may be, I want to, to, to be true to who I am and to bring my whole self to the table. That to me is the most grounding practice of, you know, kind of staying in my lane, staying small in some ways and not feeling like I have to be, you know, like this really professional version of myself who has a lot of answers over here. And then this, this person who is just like splattered in tomato soup wearing my hat as I was yesterday at work over here, but to find ways to kind of reorient myself all the time to I am a a whole and complex person. Um, there are a lot of different sides to me. I don't know if I have a great answer to to how to kind of hold that other than like staying in close community with mm-hmm. with my neighbors, <laughs> staying in close community with people who don't care that I've written three books, mm-hmm. who don't care whether I win or lose this campaign. Um, who just know all of me, know me at my best and my worst. And honestly, what even is my best and what even is my worst? I mean, we are just people and we are doing the best with what we have. And so I, I guess that would be my my biggest takeaway is just staying in those small spaces where you can be your your whole messy self. I mean, in the in the online world, I see probably there would be some similarity between like political work and on like anytime you feel like you're just part of a machine and times when that has been kind of you know it kind of sucks part of my soul away the answer to those moments for me has always been to like sit around a fire with with some of my closest friends and neighbors who who see me outside of all of that and who care about you know what's happening in my heart and who will 
who will say hard things to me when necessary, like keeping keeping those grounded, earthy, street-level relationships intact is super important. Yeah. Someone just told me recently, I forget who it was, something about like, make sure you have people in your life that aren't drinking your Kool-Aid. Yes. <laughs> like they're not bought into the thing that other people might think about you or that you might even, yeah. you know, have bought in about yourself. But like who can really say, I love you not because I think you're this amazing, you know, perfect person, but yeah. like I'm really in close relationship with you. How, I mean, in your experience, Shannon, how would you advise someone who's like, I want that. I want accountability. I want someone who can tell me the truth. I don't know how to find those relationships or build them. I mean, some of this I know it's like impossible to answer because it's it depends on the person and the context. But I'm just imagining someone saying, I want the person that will tell me the truth. I love this question. But it's so hard. <laughs> right. How do you especially if we're thinking if we're having a conversation about politics, like yeah. how do you how do you find those? It's so hard already. It is. How do we build those kinds of relationships? My dream for us. And especially thinking of the church and Christian people, my dream for us is that we pull ourselves away from, from similarity. You know, through, through my life in the church from, from the time I was born up until, up until we moved into this community, I was always in church communities that were like, okay, you're this age, you go to this Sunday school and you're in this phase of life, you go here and, oh, you're married or you're single, you go here and you go here. When we landed in this particular community and I knew nobody and I had these little tiny kids and I was, you know, I was lonely. I was probably frazzled and I just needed, I needed community and communion around me. One of my best friends of my whole lifetime came when, you know, we were, we started attending just a very sort of dying church in every sense of the word, a little mainline church at the end of our street, just because it was close. And we thought we would stop in and then we stayed a very small congregation. And I, I met Becca and there was something about her that I knew, like I knew she was funny. I knew I liked her. I didn't know her very well. And on paper, we made no sense at all. <laughs> there was nothing about our lives. I mean, she was 25 years older than me. She had been divorced decades ago. She did not have children. She was of different political ideology than than I am. Um, I mean, on and on and on it goes. She was a, a an animal lover, and I'm just really not so much. Like there were just all these things. But I knew I recognized in her a little bit of that loneliness. And I just kind of made the the ask, like, hey, would you ever want to grab coffee and and it she became one of one of the the best friends of my lifetime and so if we can if we can take ourselves out of this idea that we need to be primarily spending time with people like us or people who are similar or familiar or comfortable we are wired to want that comfort and it, it often just makes us a little lonelier we're just missing out on the richness of diversity of opinion and thought and belief um, you know, just the idea of intergenerational relationships are so meaningful and we just miss it. So, you know, the the predominant narrative around this is like, you know, the thing that, that you would put on a pretty Instagram graphic is like, go find your people. And, and the meaning behind that is typically go find people who you're really comfortable with and who maybe remind you of yourself. If we can instead turn and just look around us at people who are already near and just take that curiosity and and kind of wonder, like, what would it look like if we just started being a little more intentional about spending time with each other? My One of my core groups of my closest friends in my community who all live, you know, less than a mile away from me 
happened when we found ourselves with a free afternoon. I don't remember why. This was years ago. And these were all people that we had maybe met once or twice. Maybe we were like a little intrigued, but we didn't really know them. And we sent out a big group text and just said, hey, anybody who wants to come over tonight, bring a snack to share if you want to, and we're going to hang out on the patio. A lot of people couldn't make it. The ones who did make it to this day are some of our very closest friends. And those people who who know me <laughs> at my surliest and who can say hard things back to me and who can argue with me, which as an Enneagram 8 makes me love them even more. <laughs> it happened because we, again, like we wanted connection in our lives. We made it as simple and accessible as possible. And some people showed up. So being the one to to go first or being the one when you get that that invitation that feels like, oh, I don't really know these people. What if it's awkward? All these things we say to ourselves, saying yes to those invitations, it doesn't mean that we're always going to walk away with our best friends. But again, sometimes it does. I love that so much. I even, it makes me think of when I first moved here, I went to one church the first Sunday I was here. And it's not like this for everyone, but for me, it was just kind of like a Okay, like right. I'm here now. Yeah. Um, there are people here. Let's just like make this Let's work. Do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's both an encouragement to people of like you don't have to live in the perfect. It's not like Shannon lives in this idyllic neighborhood and she just happened to find the place where this is easy and like just happens. But also like it will just require some work and some like relationships with people who are different than you. And I also hope people hear in what you said, a push in the church to say like, what needs to happen for us to build mm -hmm. some intergenerational relationships, yep. all kinds of diversity. But I do think as you described the hardest, at least in many of the churches that I've been in is the intergenerational thing, especially among women and finding some way to, to, overcome the like ways that we've been handed down to do church that segregate us in those ways, I think is so important. Similar to all of this, um, we've been asking everyone for who everyone who's on the podcast this season this question. I, it's a good reminder talking to you that we are actually in an election season right now. <laughs> that people have local elections right now. I do in my city too. Um, but we're also approaching a big national election mm -hmm. and it will dominate people's conversations and their relationships. And I do think a lot of people are thinking about what 2016 was like, what 2020 was like, and are anxious about what this will be like for their churches, for their families, for yeah. their communities. How would you counsel them to prepare? Um, we're talking this whole season about what does it look like for us to prepare, not just in terms of the good work that we've talked about of, you know, showing up to a meeting or researching your candidates, but also how to prepare on a spiritual level or an emotional level. Are there any, you know, any counsel that you would give people, things that practices they can adopt or relationships that they should focus on to kind of sustain ourselves and what will just be challenging and, and difficult for, I think, all of us. Right now, my favorite scripture, and it has been this way for a number of years, but I know um, something's going to come along at some point and take me by surprise again. But I've I've just written kind of with this this theme in my mind, and I've held on to it for so long, and I love it so much. But Jeremiah 29 the the part where it says work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile pray to the lord for it for its welfare will determine your welfare i mean it's it's like the most complete i love so much about it i particularly love that it says work before it says pray because if it if it was the other way around just a lot of us might stop with the prayer part and it wouldn't be complete. So, you know, we work for the peace and prosperity of our city. We pray to the Lord for it, 
for its welfare will determine our welfare. Like if our neighbors are not free, then we are not free either. If our neighbors are not safe, then we are not safe either. That like finding something to just hold on to that that brings real tangible purpose and meaning to the hard work of relationships through political turmoil. I mean, you would think by now this would be easier for us because we've been through it. This isn't unfortunately new at this point. And yet I can think back to, you know, the the ways staying in conversation with people, especially people who um, whose lives are different than mine in some way in light of these big political things happening around us, staying in conversation and listening to, to people who have a different lens on the world than I do has changed me, has changed um, the way I see God and the way I see the kingdom of God and the way I see myself within that. Um, finding ways to just stay low and stay local and stay listening and in conversation with each other. Um, I think that's a really key part to this. And and even when it's really difficult, even when it's family members, I mean, it's, I, I just think so many of us have experienced this on so many levels. Um, but, you know, to, to think of this idea of like, what does the welfare of the people around me look like? Because their welfare determines my welfare. I, I think that's a place for us to to begin and continue in. Yeah, I love that. And I love the the kind of implication of like, you, you're not leaving anyone behind. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just be like, oh, I'm done with those people. <laughs> like, right. No, you're, your welfare is bound in their welfare and you have to care about it. That's such a good word, Shannon. Thank you so much for this. Thank you for all the work that you're doing. I hope the real witness this is to people of like, it's not... Um, impossible to just go about being a good neighbor in your community. You don't have to have some grand strategy or perfect community, but there are ways that you can can build that for yourself. So thank you. Thanks. The Disruptors is a production of InterVarsity Press. For more information on any IVP titles mentioned on this episode, visit ivpress.com and use code IVPOD25. That's IVPOD25 for 25% off. Sound Engineering by Honest Podcasts. Our producers are Andrew Bronson, Myla Kim, Helen Lee, and Travis Albritton. Our production assistant is Isis Toldson, and I'm your host, Caitlin Shess. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the IVP YouTube channel, and leave a rating and review to support the podcast. Yeah.